Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Daniel Zakowski, who is the CEO of Ready Set Food, and this is a company where their allergist-developed system gently introduces your baby as young as four months old to peanut, egg, and milk, helping reduce their risk of developing these common food allergies by up to 80%. This is also a company that was seen on Shark Tank, and in this episode, we discuss that experience, how he's grown the company since, and so much more behind this company and everything that's gone into it up until this point, even to the point of raising over $5 million in venture capital. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Daniel Zakowski, the CEO of Ready, Set, Food. Daniel, welcome to the show. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for coming on the show, and obviously we want to talk all about Ready Set Food and uh, everything with this. And I'm, I'm curious for people who aren't familiar, what is Ready Set Food, and also uh, how did this really get started, Daniel? So at Ready Set Food, we make easy ways to help prevent babies from getting food allergies uh, to common food allergens like peanut, egg, and milk. Um, and this started about three and a half years ago after my nephew developed a number of severe food allergies uh, to peanut, dairy a number of different tree nuts, sesame. Um, and uh, we'd seen that there had been a number of clinical trials in 2015 and 2016 that were published showing that you could prevent up to 80% of those common food allergies just by feeding your baby small amounts of the allergenic food itself um, on a regular basis for an extended period of time. Uh, just to give an example, like that first clinical trial gave small amounts of peanut powder to babies um, who were prone to peanut allergies um, and did that starting at four months of age over a four-year period um, and it found that it prevented 81% of peanut allergies that would have developed from from developing. Wow. And, and understanding that though, that understand you had this issue from a, a personal standpoint from uh, someone you know then, why did you decide to make a, a business out of this? I mean, everyone doesn't necessarily just go from, from that idea or some problem to a business. I'm curious as to why you, you decided to make a company out of it. As a serial entrepreneur, I was really looking to be able to build something um, great again and uh, saw that the combination of the you know, severe threat allergies that my nephew had combined with evidence that we could prevent up to 80% of those food allergies. Uh, but we also saw in the clinical trials that um, it was really hard and a lot of parents, had, over 50% of them had actually dropped out of the largest clinical trial because it was too hard to follow the protocol. Uh, so we knew that there was a real opportunity to save really a quarter million babies every single year in the baby for, uh, in the U.S. from uh, getting severe food allergies, uh, but that even in a clinical environment, it was really hard, and most parents in real life were going to struggle much more than that. So that if we wanted to uh, you know, have a real uh, population change in the amount of food allergies we have, we needed to have an easier way for parents to prevent these food allergies. Um, and we'd had an insight that you know, at four months of age, when the uh, when babies are supposed to be eating these uh, foods, according to the evidence from the clinical trials, they're just not very good at eating. Um, but that if you could put the allergens in a format that it was easier for them to eat, um, then you can have a way to you know, have a product to sell to parents and also have a, uh, really make a difference in making it easier for parents to prevent food allergies. Um, and we knew that that format was a bottle. So that's really all of our, our product is, uh, at, at least our, the current product we have in, in market, is the exact same process from the clinical trials, but dissolving in a, a, a formula or a bottle of breast milk so that it can be really easy to feed your baby no matter um, what kind of feeding preferences your baby has. And with this, Daniel, then, 
what did it take to kind of get this off the ground like initially to actually get the first kind of uh, a version where people could literally start using this? What was some of the things you did initially? Definitely. So there was two aspects that we were most worried about initially when my brother-in-law and I started working on it. Um, and he's a doctor, so we had some medical expertise on the team, but we knew we needed um, a real specialist in this area. Uh, so we brought on uh, chief allergist, Dr. Katie Marks-Kogan, to help make sure that from a, an allergy perspective, we were doing the right thing and that she could help build a medical board of advisors to make sure that, you know, because this is a medically sensitive topic, that we're doing the, you know, something that is safe and effective for babies. So the medical side was the first because without, um, you know, doing the right thing that's going to be safe and effective for babies, uh, we wouldn't have started a company. Um, and then the second was we really needed to be able to to make the product. And I think we we had an idea that it would not be too complicated to um, to put powdered versions of foods into a format that could dissolve in breast milk or formula. Um, but there's a lot of complication around the way it dissolves and making sure that the baby can drink it easily. And because our entire value proposition is around being the easy way for parents to follow these new medical guidelines, it really had to be a great user experience. Um, so that's why our kind of fourth kind of initial team member after myself, my partner, our chief and our chief allergist um, was this uh, gentleman, Aaron Rowe, who's one of our founding members, who is a food scientist and allergy uh, scientist. He's uh, uh, got a lot of interesting backgrounds, but really helped us make sure that it could uh, you know, dissolve properly in a bottle of breast milk or formula, um, that it would stay in solution long enough. It would be, you know, ha have kind of the uh, easy to use attributes that we knew that parents really needed. And with the food allergist, getting them on board, I, how how did that go? Because I know from a team perspective, a team is one of the most important things, especially early stage companies and getting the right people on board can be difficult. How did that go for you getting them uh, on the team? So I think we were very lucky in a number of ways. One is that, um, you know, because my brother-in-law is a doctor, even though he's not an allergist, um, having a doctor already on the team, I think made uh, an allergist um, you know, feel a little more comfortable in terms of like the kind of medical, medically sound orientation of what we were doing. Uh, we're also lucky that just in terms of the timing, this is something that a lot of allergists know needs to be done better um, and was already on Dr. Marks Kogan's mind as something that, you know, she had recently had a baby, tried to do the process that was done in the clinical trials on her own baby, had really struggled with it because it's hard. Um, and it was on her mind that like she needed to find a way to help explain to parents how to do this better. So um, it really naturally fit within what she wanted to do. And, and because we already had a doctor on our team, she, kind of, you know, I think trusted our medical orientation more. Um, and then I think we're, we're also just lucky that, um, you know, she had the right kind of ideas and, and connections to help bring a product like ours to fruition. For example, you know, her mentor in medical school is the head of allergy at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, and he's been a really amazing mentor to us. Uh, so having the, the right people with the right kind of uh, uh, approach to our product who care about it, understand the value of the mission, but also, you know, see the business opportunity. I think we were very lucky, but we ended up with someone who had all those characteristics. Yeah. And with the mission of this product and being obviously so clear and a lot of this is helpful and, and then having a stellar team already with, with that in place. And how were you getting the word out and, and helping people understand like what you were doing, learn about you guys. So then you actually had customers using this. How did you go about that side of things? So there's um, the, the bigger problem actually is not about um, letting people know about ready, set food. Um, the bigger problem that we have to deal with in terms of awareness is related to just the fact that most parents don't know that you can prevent food allergies. Um, you know, once a parent knows you you can prevent food allergies, these clinical trials have, have really shown that it's possible and there's new guidelines that say you should 
our product is pretty easy to sell uh, because parents understand it would be you know really hard to feed your baby all those foods frequently at such a young age. Um, so our challenge, at least right now, uh, is that most parents just aren't aware of the you know the newest guidelines and, and the science yet because because it's new. Um, so uh, you know we really get the awareness uh, out in a couple uh, ways. One is that you know we do a lot of traditional direct to consumer e-commerce tactics, uh, Facebook ads, Instagram ads. Um, you know, uh, influencers, brand partnerships. Uh, but for us, you know, educating a population on a medical concept um, just through Facebook ads is a pretty expensive way to do it. Um, so, the, you know, I think what's been most um, beneficial for us is really, um, you know, combining those traditional advertising uh, tactics with leveraging credibility from external sources. So what I mean by that is um, because it's a topic that, you know, has such a clear mission that a lot of other people and organizations are also trying to, you know, get the word out about whether it's pediatricians or uh, medical medical organizations or people that have, you know, a child with food allergies. We can use a lot of those, you know, uh, motivated organizations and people to help get the word out too, and then to to use their um, endorsements in in our ads and and to work like really symbiotically in that way. So I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, that are on very different ends of the spectrum. So on, on one end of the spectrum, uh, we have uh, a partnership that we just launched with Advocate Aurora Healthcare System. They have about 36,000 babies a year, um, and we've created a health, an educational partnership so that um, every one of the babies born in their healthcare system, their parents at the right times in the baby's life at two months and four months and six months will get the uh, customized educational content that we've designed uh, for them to make sure that they have the best education about food allergy prevention. Um, and that will, you know, both drive education directly as well as give us an opportunity to, um, you know, drive education um, through then advertising the relationship to people um, who are members of that healthcare organization. So uh, there's a lot of healthcare opportunities because um, this is so, uh, you know, directly in line with what these healthcare systems are, are working on and, and their um, guidelines. And, and then on, on, the other, on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, we received an investment through Shark Tank from Mark Cuban. Um, and he's, you know, he has a daughter that has a peanut allergy, which is why he's so motivated on this topic. So using his, you know, in, endorsement and credibility <laughs> and willingness to do certain media things for us to help drive awareness because, you know, he cares so much about the topic um, because of his personal experience and, and finding others that have that same kind of personal experience and, and desire to, to help, I think is kind of the other end of that credibility spectrum. But I think doing the combination of kind of traditional direct consumer e-commerce uh, tactics, plus finding these other uh, large scale opportunities to build credibility around the topic are really going to be what drives success for us. And on that note too, with the Shark Tank side of things, how did that come about that you decided to go that route? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of thinking about it to get exposure. How did you decide to do it? And then obviously I'm curious as to your experience as well with Shark Tank. Yeah, definitely. So um, for us, it, it all goes back to that combination of credibility and awareness. So, you know, if you look at even a, a recent survey sh uh, showing two thirds of pediatricians uh, just don't get around to telling most of their uh, patients about food allergy prevention. Um, it, you know, there's really just not enough awareness from credible sources. Uh, and we were trying to think out of the box of how do we drive more large scale awareness um, on a startup kind of budget um, and not just awareness of brand, but much more credibility on the topic. Um, and I think that, you know, while you don't necessarily want to immediately buy everything you see on Shark Tank, there's a certain amount of credibility that if it was, you know, total BS, then, you know, they might not allow it on the show, things <laughs> like that, which, yeah. Uh, 
I think we've seen play out to the benefit that like there are a lot more people that like believe in this topic now because they've heard about it on Shark Tank, they've seen it on Shark Tank, um, and we still have to convince them about our product. But even the the topic has more credibility now. Uh, so for us, it was a re- really great experience. Um, you know, I think that we we're. Um, I mean, it's very unlucky that Mark has a daughter with a, a, a severe peanut allergy. Uh, but for us, you know, it's it, it's been just an incredible partnership because he has that personal connection. Um, I mean, it's it was definitely you know a lot of work from when we first applied um, in in March, uh, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, um, to what we ended up airing in in January. Um, they ended up uh, seeing a, a clip from a morning show that we were on, uh, being interested in it, at, you know, having us apply. Um, and I think for us, like we were uh, just most afraid that given the short amount of time and complexity of the topic, that the you know, really the correct like scientific uh, uh, message got across. Um, because like for us, it was all about like, can we get the, the right credibility on topic and make sure that it comes across the right way? Um, but there's really like not much time when you think about like the first 90 seconds is your pitch and then there's a bunch of negotiation. Uh, there's really not much time to actually like discuss the topic itself because, you know, your first 90 second pitch is mostly focused on, you know, being entertaining, um, getting them to laugh, getting them engaged on the topic. Right. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's a just really incredible experience and I think has made a huge difference for our company. Um, but we were also, I think, quite lucky that one of the sharks had such a personal connection, which I think made the the relationship and the partnership a lot more meaningful and, and actionable. Yeah. And when I talked to Jake Liu from Outer and he went through Shark Tank as well and saw a tremendous lift from that and it continued uh, after as well. How did that kind of impact your business? One, obviously you got Mark Cuban on board, which I'm sure has, has been great, but even just from like a perspective of, of outreach and from there, people awareness from there, like what, what kind of impact did you see from, from being on Shark Tank then? Good question. So initially, probably a little bit less lift than a lot of the other companies that go on Shark Tank, just because our target demographic is parents with a baby zero to six months of age. Um, (laughs) But uh, very narrow window. And, um, you know, they may or may not be awake that late at night. Um, But uh, but I think that like, we, we got we, we did get a nice sales bump right away. But I think the more meaningful piece has been you know, the credibility for the topic and how we've been able to leverage the fact that Mark Cuban is invested and uh, has, you know, said he would, uh, he wished he could have used this with his, with, with his kids when they were young. Um, so I think, you know, um, the, the fact that we, like the actual airing itself was beneficial, but, you know, not as directly helpful given like how narrow our demographic is, but the like after effect has been really amazing. We're you know we're up four to five x from uh, right before we aired uh, on a like new subscription monthly basis, um, and that's like sustained, not just like a blip. So um, you know it's always nice to get the the bump right away, and uh, but for us it was much better to and more important to have a, a meaningful lift kind of with all the additional credibility brought to the topic and uh, and endorsements we have now. Yeah, and it's obviously one of those things you can go back to again and again as a credibility indicator. Uh, you know, moving forward, like you, you've always had that experience, and of like you've been on Shark Tank. Like moving forward, however long, it's like, oh yeah, we went on Shark Tank, uh, and then it never never leaves you from having that as well. And and I'm for, I'm sure people are curious, and I'm I'm definitely curious uh, about having Mark Cuban involved. Like, what does that involvement look like from his side? Because some investors can be super hands off. He obviously has this problem with within his own uh, child, but I'm just curious on what that kind of involvement uh, working with Mark has been like since. So he is highly engaged. Um, I mean, we uh, sent him a weekly update. Uh, something he asked for as part of our 
you know, I work with him and he's very just engaged about it. So I don't know how much of that is because of his personal connection versus um, like what he does for everyone. I, I can't imagine he has time to do that with every single company he works with, but um, he he's amazingly efficient and responsive um, and uh, more so than we would have expected, but in a way that's been, I think, very helpful to us, um, especially around um, a donation program that we're working on. Um, that that's been a big focus of uh, of his investment that you saw in Shark Tank, uh, and also of things that we're working on together to make sure that you know we do education, but we also sell a product. And for people who can't afford it, we wanted to donate it so that they could. And we have a, a donation program uh, available at readysetfood.com forward slash giving back, uh, where anyone on uh, food stamps or on Medicaid can uh, go and get a free subscription to our product. So. I know that's something that he's also been um, really engaged on and, and uh, working with us to help promote. That's awesome. And obviously, that's just one investor. You had other investors in a pre-seed and seed round. Take me through how the fundraising side of things for Raise That Food has, has gone for you. I know you were a founder uh, previously as well. I'm just curious for, for other entrepreneurs who are going through fundraising because it's, it's obviously a very difficult and uh, arduous process. How has that gone for you, Daniel? But yeah, for us, it was, I would say, also difficult and arduous. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think like, you know, everyone, everyone feels like they have the, you know special problems that make it harder to fundraise. I think for us, we also had a, uh, our special problem is just that we don't really fit into any category. So any fund that's focused on a specific, you know, investment thesis around technology or around wellness or around like everyone is like a little bit different than uh, you know, we're a dietary supplement that's clinically proven, really scientifically backed by evidence, um, but also not something that like makes you feel better right away that you buy in a whim. Um, yeah. So I think like we, we fit into this weird, we fall into this weird place where we're not a drug, we're not a food, we're not a supplement really, um, and we're not tech. So I think that made it a little bit more difficult for us. But um, I think what we had going for us, at least initially, is that there's so many people who have the personal connection to the topic. So, um, you know, initially we uh, raised a uh, very small friends and family round and then um, had a number of angel investors with personal connections, to the, the topic invest. And um, then once we had a little bit of momentum, um, we brought on a couple more uh, serious investors like um, PLG Ventures and Amplify Los Angeles. Um, so, and that, that basically took care of most of our pre-seed round and including like Wavemaker Health and, and, and a few others. So um, that initial kickstart was really um, based on people who had that personal connection because I think there it was so hard to find a really good fit. And then once we got a little bit of traction, though, there were enough kind of generalist pre-seed investors um, that we were able to kind of fill out our initial like 2 million-ish uh, uh, pre-seed round. And one thing I just had to go back to real quick, I know I've actually had this conversation recently, so I was curious, how did you set up your initial family friends kind of financing in terms of what that looked like, the structure of it? Uh, it was all on a safe note. Everything from uh, uh, everything through pre-seed was um, all on a safe note. Um, it was the Y Combinator like pre-money safe note before they made those changes. So now it's a little bit different. Um, but but yeah, basically, you know, it was all, all, all on the standard safe note. Cool. Yeah, I was just curious. There's a number of different ways to kind of go about that, especially depends on how you look at growing in the future, taking on additional investors, et cetera. So uh, good to hear that from just that perspective of things. And then uh, were there differences and like major differences between kind of the, the pre-seed versus seed round of, of funding for you? Uh, more so that we were able to, I think, uh, attract real long-term partners um, like Danone Ventures. So, um, I mean, Amplify and PLG Ventures have been incredible strategic partners. 
Um, but in terms of like the long-term like driving of growth in the company, um, having a strategic investor like Danone, who is the second largest infant formula maker in the world, um, I think is really beneficial for us. So I think we could go from getting people on the team who are like strategically helpful and good investors, um, but not like long-term growth drivers to, um, finding the partners that, um, you know, we're in final talks bringing on some healthcare systems um, to invest that will be part of partnerships to drive education through the healthcare system. Um, and Danone being so big into food and formula is a great partner for a lot of reasons there. Um, so I think that that's been the big difference for us um, from pre-seed to seed is moving from people who are people who are, you know, I, I love calling uh, for advice and who help of guide our trajectory to people to you know to partners who can um, really help more directly um, you know drive business and growth and and planning for the future. And, and to that point, you've mentioned a couple times now partners, whether it be from uh, financing, funding side of things to to growth and everything. How do you prioritize or look at? who you want to partner with, because I'm looking at just thinking of there's so many different potential organizations and uh, partners, even looking at my own business side of things and how I view partnerships. How do you look at prioritizing those and which partners make sense now versus later on? Uh, how do you go through that, Daniel? It's a good question. I mean, I think that um, in the beginning, um, we really didn't know what would be the most beneficial. So we did a little bit of uh, you know, trying to test as many different partner types of partnerships as possible. Um, but then also being uh, really quick to stop doing the things that didn't really make sense to continue. For example, like we started partnering with individual pediatricians to help promote uh, food allergy prevention through their practices. And we have a lot of individual pediatricians who are really excited because they understand this is something they should be doing. Uh, but change management with like an individual pediatric office is um, really difficult and expensive, uh, which is why you know, pharma companies pay reps uh, and lots of money to go visit you know, offices a lot. Um, and so for us, it just didn't really make sense, even though it showed initial really nice signs of success from you know, pediatrician interest. Um, so I think like finding a lot of different um, things that, that, that you can try and testing them and then being smart about what to stop. Because I think that you know, I, I definitely wouldn't have predicted that the initial... Uh, success would come from Facebook and Instagram and the latter success that we're seeing now would come from larger scale partners like healthcare systems. We really predicted like the opposite um, yeah. because it, it was so aligned with healthcare systems that we thought that like, oh, they would just, they would know, they would understand, want to do it. And then once it, once it was more uh, generally known, then we'd go to Facebook um, when really like it turned out we had to do the opposite because um, because even though it was well known by doctors, like the medical community just wasn't in a place yet from a top down level that they were willing to, you know, drive this and kind of force this system wide. And, and now they are. So, um, sometimes you have to just know how to like look and see, but then also say no and move on to the next thing. Uh, and, um, but then also not give up on things that may have not worked in the past, still come back to them because sometimes, you know, the situation changes and healthcare partnerships that would not have worked three years ago. Um, are going to give us a lot of success now, I think. Yeah, the timing part of it's an important piece you're mentioning there. Like, just because it, at one point in time wasn't the right fit or wasn't going to work out doesn't mean forever that it's never going to be the right fit. And um, I'm thinking, thinking back to my experience of reaching out to people a number of times as well, even for just go grind. And like the timing is everything. Like I've reached out, you know, when you follow up again, whether it be six months later, or a year later, people are in a much different spot, whether it be coming on a show, whether it be helping, uh, sponsors show anything like the timing of that is something to keep in mind just like don't lose those contacts just because right now it may not be the right fit uh it kind of evolves as as you grow and everything as well uh with that it seems that's the 
how it's gone, at least with Ready, Set, Food as well. Exactly. And I think the hardest part is what you mentioned, which is just really prioritizing uh, because at any given point, there's so many new things to try, so many things that you tried before you can retest. Um, and I don't know if I have a, a, a secret sauce there other than, you know, in the beginning, I think um, we were just less strategic and more tactical based on like connections and strings we could pull and things like that. Because um, I think that especially for our kind of business, that there were a lot more opportunities from uh, like, you know, uh, leveraging connections and things like that than um, than just kind of grinding on a certain type of ad campaign. Uh, whereas now I think like we've migrated to a more uh, like serious need to operate at a strategic level. Um, and like, you know, we've spent almost a year launching uh, Advocate Aurora, our first healthcare system. And I think now within a couple months, we'll launch a few others. Um, so I think that, you know, the, the, the thing that works initially is also uh, not the thing that works later. And that's important to keep in mind. Uh, and that no, thinking about that while at the same time you're trying to constantly re reprioritize is what I would definitely say is like the hardest challenge of, of running a business. So I understand that the product is such an important part of, of Ready, Set, Food. How has the product side of it, uh, of Ready, Set, Food, evolved over time since the beginning to where it's at now? So it's evolved in small ways to make uh, users more happy with the experience of using the product and also to fit a couple additional consumer segments. Um, we're about to launch a new product shortly, but just focusing on like the actual evolution of our current product. Um, like, for example, we found that in our initial runs, uh, we'd really focused on um, how easy the uh, packets were to pour into a bottle uh, and not enough on how easy they were to open. Uh, so mm. some people had problems opening the packet and had to carry scissors with them to cut it off. Um, and there turns out to be some amount of trade-off between, um, you know, easy to open and easy to pour. Um, so, But we did need to move the line, I think, a little bit closer to the easy to open piece because it's not appropriate that you have to carry scissors with you to cut open uh, a sachet yeah. <laughs> you're going to pour into your baby's bottle. So, you know, we, we, we did some things like that just to make sure that um, it was easier to use. And I think that that's a really important part of what we try and do is just understand from our consumers, like what difficulties they're having with it, especially because it's a physical product and it's something they have to use every day. Um, and, and really our entire uh, value proposition, when you think of, about it, is, is really just making the process easy. Um, because, uh, so if, if it's not easy because you need scissors or not easy because it doesn't dissolve properly, that's not a good customer experience. So, um, you know, we made small changes like the opening issue. Uh, we also, um, saw some evidence that even though the actual rate of milk allergy, um, is very low, um, that, uh, you know, in the, in the single digits, uh, low single digits, that there's a pretty high rate of perceived milk allergy around 14%. Um, so that we uh, then decided it would be good to create um, a line of like dairy-free products uh, to you know to to suit the needs of people who felt like their baby was milk intolerant. Um, you know, it's important for allergy prevention to have it in there, which is why our core product does. But we also want to make sure that you know if people really feel like their baby can't tolerate it, that they can have an option that you know still hits the peanut and egg allergens, which are the ones that most people are concerned about. So um, the biggest change was that um, kind of function and usability change. But we've also tried to do some things to, to make our product more suitable to certain like niche segments. And one thing I want to go back to real quick is uh, you mentioned the growth side, obviously partnerships combined with the different channels, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Early on there with that, knowing you had to go like the Facebook, Instagram route, did you end up doing that in-house and working with an agency? How did you view that? Because there's a few different ways to go about it. We've gone back and forth through both. Um, I think that um, our product is especially hard for an agency just because 
it's very different than most other products they'd work with, given the combination of, you know, uh, misinformation about food allergies and um, and education needed and uh, potential safety concerns that parents have. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just very different in terms of how you'd work with an influencer to how you'd make a Facebook ad, kind of language you're allowed to use from an FDA perspective. So um, I think that we've found that agencies end up adding a lot of value for us, but that um, the kind of typical tactics that they use with other people just aren't don't work the same way. Um, so uh, we're with an agency right now that has done some really good work for us. Um, but it's definitely been an on and off thing uh, that we've brought in house at certain times. Um, and I'd say that we typically do almost as well in house. And uh, then when we find a new agency, they add a lot of value with some new really cool ideas. But that in the long run, we typically end up just being a different enough type of product that what's more important is like really deep product knowledge versus like the best Facebook expert. Although it'd be nice to have both, but um, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't uh, hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when when we have a bigger budget. Uh, then we can get the best Facebook expert who's also a product specialist. Um, but yeah, I think that's like the thing that we found especially difficult is just that because it's, you know, it's not fashion or, um, you know, beauty or uh, health and wellness, really. Um, it's just, it requires like more out of the box thinking. And I think where agencies can really excel is knowing what what's worked for other similar people and executing on it really well. Um and I, I love testing ideas that work well for other people, but in general, we found that not to consistently be owner. And with that being just one of the challenges is finding that side of things and the acquisition strategy. As you've gone about the last two years or so here, two plus years, I mean, what have been kind of the, the major challenges or the, the biggest challenges for you uh, with growing Ready, Set, Food over time? Just curious from your perspective of what you think was has been kind of the biggest challenges. So the biggest challenge for us is really um, that you know, for the 20 years preceding when the new guidelines came out, doctors used to give advice that was exactly the opposite of what they're telling people now. So for 20 straight years, they told people you should not give your baby allergenic food, um, especially when they're young, because your baby's really delicate and you shouldn't do anything that could cause them harm and an allergic reaction could cause them harm. And, you know, doctors made their best guess given a prior lack of evidence um, but that, that turns out to actually be um, actually the, you know, the opposite of what the right advice is. Uh, and it doesn't just lead to more food allergies, but the later you give your baby the first exposure, the more severe it is. Um, and that, that, that you know, uh, recommendation was in line with kind of the common sense belief that like babies are delicate, so we should just protect them until they're older. Um, but that it's, um, you know, it, it, it's really been um, a difficult thing to overcome because it, it has the combination of common sense plus, you know, a, a pretty decent amount of like medical, uh, like time in the, you know, being given to, to patients. So, um, you know, it's, it, now like the, all the new guidelines say like feed your baby allergenic foods early and often, uh, do it for all babies. Um, but there's so much hesitance from the prior, like different recommendations combined with like the, um, general intuition that like, you know, why would I just do that to my baby? It's, it looks so delicate. I'll just wait until they're bigger and tougher. Um, that like, that's, that's the, the biggest challenge to overcome, which is why we really need to, I think for, uh, if we want to scale, leverage other people's credibility, uh, more so than just like finding a better Facebook ad, which is also important. Um, but that there's only so much money and time we can spend like re-educating people off like the prior, um, mis uh, misinformation. 
on that note too, then understand that that is, that's the biggest problem that you're dealing with. That's, that's the huge challenge within this whole business model. How do you look at creating content, educating on that, on that side of things? Cause that I imagine is a big part of it outside of the finding the right partners that give you the credibility and help with that. But from a content perspective, then how have you kind of viewed that for ready, set food? That's a great point. So content is also a really important part of our strategy, just in terms of education. Um, and we, um, you know, just try and write a lot of good quality educational content. Um, and, you know, I think that on a lot of topics like this, there's really spammy content out there and there's good quality medical education that's incomprehensible by normal people. Um, so if you search for anything related to food allergies, there are really good articles out there by medical journals. Uh, but for a parent, they're just like too hard to understand. Um, <laughs> and then there's also other lighter articles and I don't want to throw any publication under the bus. So let's just say, you know, some dot com <laughs> article that, uh, you know, content farm like uh, makes, uh, you know, an article on food allergies and prevention that is like, you know, 50% right, 50% outdated. Um, and that like the, I think there's a real opportunity, especially here to write high quality content um, yeah, but that it is understandable for normal people. Um, and I think that that's where we've seen uh, a good amount of success, uh, really, you know, developing a lot, of, a, a lot of content on every topic that's related to this, uh, to food allergies, to food allergy prevention, to the different risk factors for food allergies. Um, so we'll, we're about to launch a new blog section on our site that will allow you to you better kind of navigate the large amount of content that we have on there. Um, but uh, it's already been showing really nice, uh, you know, organic and SEO benefits. So I think that, uh, you know, we're excited about further developing uh, content, um, mostly because it's, I think, the right thing to do, given the level of education that's necessary out there. And that by having good educational content, like, you know, for the right reasons, I think there's a lot of other ways that it helps us. Like when we talk to doctors, healthcare systems, um, you know, SEO, there's, a, I think, uh, um, a lot of good reasons to do it. But I think that the reason that it's effective is because customers need this type of education um, that, you know, it, it just happens to be like the right kind of fit. Yeah. And I'm thinking right now of, of companies who are kind of education first on the content side that are maybe even good examples, looking at Giblib and, and their like surgeries and everything they're doing education around with like high quality videos, uh, same with osmosis in that same kind of sphere, uh, providing a lot of education. That's their main product is the educational side and the content uh, and like, understanding that basically the way you're doing some of that side of things with your main thing being the product itself, uh, and education kind of fueling that. Uh, but those are definitely good models to kind of look at as well. Um, for anyone kind of interested in, in seeing some high quality content. Um, and then with ready, set food, I mean, this has been more than more than two years now at this point, You've gone through a lot on the fundraising side, you've been on Shark Tank. It's been quite the journey. I mean, what kind of traction at this point have you made with ready, set food? So we're now seeing about a thousand new subscribers a month, which um, has been great just in terms of the number of babies that I know we're saving. So our our estimate our estimate is that we've saved about a thousand babies from uh, getting severe food allergies at this point, based on the uh, levels of efficacy from the clinical trials. Um, and that's just of people using our product, not just of people who learn about it and they decide to do it on their own or, or something like that. So I think that I'm really excited as the uncle of a of a three year old that has multiple life life threatening food allergies that. Um, you know, there should be about a thousand babies out there that directly because of our product now don't have a food allergy like that. Um, so I think that that's really exciting. And also, um, you know, having the credibility from partners, not just like Mark, who has a personal connection, but from, uh, you know, companies like to know that understand the space and 
um, and want to see you know big changes in, in, in the levels of food allergy um, all the way down to like healthcare systems partnering with us. Um, I don't think I ever would have imagined when we started this that uh, the ninth largest healthcare system by number of babies would be using educational material that we developed for all of their pediatric visits to discuss food allergy prevention. Wow. Just a, it's pretty, pretty wild. So I think, look, we still have a long way to go. Um, anytime we're trying to educate, uh, um, you know, patients and consumers about something that's a little bit complicated on the health side, there's a lot to do. But um, I think given where we've come, and you know, a really great opportunity to do so. And then looking back, you were obviously, you're an entrepreneur before you mentioned as well. I mean, how did you go from that past business? And what did you learn from that that has helped you with Ready, Set, Food now? Because you ran a business for a number of years, uh, pretty successful with it. How did that influence your current business with Ready, Set, Food? It was really in- invaluable. Um, you know, I, I, without that business experience, I don't know if I'd have been able to make um, you know, Ready, Set, Food you know, at the level of success it's, it's come to at this point. Um, I think that there's a lot of, you know, just small things as far as organizing a business, you know, putting a team together, thinking about, um, you know, even inventory management, um, you know, just some, some small details that in my, you know, in between jobs of like corporate strategy wouldn't have really run into as much. Um, but I think the biggest thing from, from me that I learned really in that, in that first business was how important the people were and the relationships with your staff and really like, um, you know, building like uh, a, a team of great people that want to work together uh, more so than individual people who are really good at their job. Um, and that I, I think focused more so in my initial uh, venture on like the quality of the person, uh, letting them kind of go off and do their own thing and not really thinking about like, you know, how to develop them, how to build relationships with people who can really like by working together as a team do better than they could individually. So I think that we're doing that a lot better. COVID makes that more difficult, I think a little bit, Um, but that, uh, (laughs) but that having a focus on that is even more important now because of COVID. So, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, if I'd had the mentality in my prior company, especially in COVID times, I think would have made it much more difficult to, to have some of the growth that we've seen recently. I mean, on the note with COVID, I mean, how has it affected Ready, Set, Foods? I've talked to a number of different business owners and it's, it's different for everybody. But for you then, how has it affected how you operate? So I would say it's it's overall hurt us a little bit. Um, I, we're not in the category that's being you know dramatically helped um, and and thankfully not in the much, much larger category of companies that have been like decimated or have had to like totally pivot or uh, re-engineer their entire company. Um, I think that we've had some problems, like, for example, this healthcare partnership with Advocate Aurora was supposed to launch you know, four months ago, but because of COVID, they didn't have any bandwidth for anything other than COVID, basically. Uh, so some of our larger scale partnerships have been delayed. Um, and you know, so there's some amount of people who have uh, you know, not enough money for extra purchases like this, but we've not really seen as big of a hit on sales. It's more that some of our larger scale partnerships and partnership efforts um, have, have that we we're expecting and, and counting on to drive growth in the future have been delayed. Um, I think we're extraordinarily lucky that nothing's been canceled, nothing's been uh, blocked, and we're now in, in the process in the next month or two of, of launching everything that we were supposed to do six months ago um, and raised all the money we needed to. And so I think we're, uh, you know, for, compared to most, really lucky. Um, but then occasionally you hear about like the telemedicine com- uh, segments and things like that, that really get big boosts. You think it would, you know, it's, it's nice to have good timing sometimes. 
Yeah, and the range, there's just there's just such a range between the companies and, and how it's been affected. And I'm thinking back to, I mean, someone I just interviewed is Festival Pass and how that affected it because live, live events. I mean, that's obviously been affected tremendously. Uh, and then, yeah, the number of different companies, whether it be telehealth or even like pet health with uh, an episode that will be coming out with, with Fuzzy, Fuzzy Pet Health and how that side of things has grown or look at uh, Zuleika Strassner from, from Zero and how that grocery segment, I think she 15X. It's just such a range of, of things, but it is interesting to hear how people are are navigating such a difficult time or an interesting, weird time for any business out there, whether it be good or bad, uh, and have some perspective around that as well. And there's just a, a lot to learn from that and from these kind of different perspectives and, and stories from people going through it. One thing I want to uh, hop back to, because I'm always uh, kind of interested in the, the learning side of things from entrepreneurs, have, have there been any books or any books, whether it be personal or professional, that have just been helpful for you or impactful for you in your career so far, Daniel? So I think there's three books that um, probably have been the most impactful for me. Um, one is a book called Strategic Intuition uh, by a professor at Columbia, William Dugan. Um, and he talks a lot about, you know, where interesting new ideas come from, um, and what, you know, how you foster new ideas in your organization. Um, and the, the really short version of it is that, uh, he, he, you know, talks a lot about how so many of the new, uh, great ideas, uh, in society are really just combinations of ideas that are, you know, existing in other areas. And that one of the best sources of innovation is just being open-minded and having like a broad range of experiences and having uh, uh, teammates and uh, members that have you know, broad ranges of experiences and can be open-minded and leverage you know ideas from other industries and categories and and roles and that those are some of the things that that end up driving real innovation more so than like a scientist sitting in like a research laboratory. Um, so I think that's that's one book that's been really interesting. And I think that you know uh, our product is a, kind of a uh, a result of like similar idea that like it's you know it's not a rocket scientist type uh, type innovation, but uh, by combining a couple things from different industries and areas that we've seen, you know can help save hopefully a quarter million babies here from food allergies. Um, another is a, a book called Super Forecasters uh, by Philip Tetlock. Um, it's about how um, I'm going to uh, butcher the description a little bit here, but uh, the, you know they they ha- a group of um, just normal people uh, are, were able to outcompete CIA-trained analysts on making predictions about what was going to happen in the world uh, by uh, using just a different approach to um, judging their expectations of certain outcomes, um, and by you know, really thinking hard about um, being like not too uh, close-minded about their beliefs. Uh, whereas, like the CIA analysts would spend a lot more time researching and then not change their mind once they'd come to it. Um, you know, the the short version is. Uh, that their group would um, just spend a lot less time initially, but then spend a lot more time updating their assumptions, changing what they what they believed and changing their estimate of what would happen and ended up on the whole with like much more reliable estimates of the real world. So I think that that's that's a really interesting one for anyone who's trying to figure out like what's going to happen next. Uh, and then the last one is uh, a book by Adam Smith, the guy who's more famous for The Wealth of Nations, but I really don't like that book very much. I think a much better book is uh, The Theory of Moral Sentiments. Uh, and that it's a great description of like why people have different kinds of emotion, how you can really communicate with people um, in, in, in a more effective and efficient way. Um, and there's a lot more that he gets into in that, in, in that book. And it's not the kind of thing that you expect from the guy who wrote The Wealth of Nations. But um, I think I, I, I learned how to be a much better communicator and understand 
um, how to, you know, uh, see people's, see things from other people's perspectives more effectively uh, from having read that book. And Daniel, with, with being an entrepreneur for a number of years as well, a couple of years here with Ray Set Food and previously as well, I mean, how do you kind of step away from, from work to, to recharge? So I'm uh, very lucky that I have three uh, amazing kids under the age of seven. Um, <laughs> so uh, I kind of have like a forced uh, for both good, most almost all good, uh, and occasionally a little bad uh, you know, times <laughs> that I need to uh, recharge with the kids. And I think that that's really what I've done is I've um, ca- carved out parts of my day that, you know, no matter what else is going on, I'm going to spend time with the kids. And if that means that I'm waking up earlier or staying up later, then that's fine. And it's what I have to do as a you know startup CEO. But that no matter what, from, you know, from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., I'm going to spend time with everything shut off with my kids um, and, uh, you know, with almost, with almost no exceptions. Um, and that that becomes, you know, both an important part of like making sure I'm not uh, abandoning my family, uh, but also, uh, you know, having some amount of a recharge time for me. Um, and I would say that's one thing that COVID made a little bit easier, actually, is that kind of schedule where, you know, I can work all night and in the morning, but still pretty easily carve out, you know, two, two solid hours in the morning and, the, and late afternoon for family time. Absolutely. And, and one final thing I'm just curious about, the name is pretty unique, right? You said food. How did that come about? That's a great question. So um, <laughs> it, it came about after a lot of discussion, really. Uh, and it, the problem that we have is that because we're a dietary supplement that's not done clinical trials on our product yet, um, there's a lot of things we can't say from a regulatory perspective. So it would have been great to have a product named like Allergy Preventer um, <laughs> or some, <laughs> some, some better version of that. Um, but, you know, the, 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 unfortunately, because of uh, the you know, well-meaning regulations that generally I think have good effects in, in this category, it really limits what we can say to being only things that are really vague. So I think we could have picked something that was kind of vague and meaningless, like uh, like Yahoo or you know something like that. Uh, like there's some connection, but you don't really see it directly. Um, and I think that because this concept is so new, we wanted to have some type of uh, name that had some level of explanation of like what you were doing with your kids. So having the word food in it, you know, uh, being ready to so your baby can eat food later in life. Um, I think that having a combination of like easy to understand in some way that adds value to your understanding of the product, easy to spell, you know, has a website available, uh, I think is, 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 where, is where we ended up. And, um, you know, I think that uh, for a while, we actually thought we were changing because there'd be like the perfect way of describing protection and prevention um, and also um, be as kind of memorable and things like that. But um, I think because of the regulatory issues around it, that um, we are very excited. Our name is Ready, Set, Food. <laughs> I had to ask. It was one of those things that as soon as I saw the name, I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. It's definitely not what maybe you'd expect from from a company name, but I, I love it. And where can people then go? It's pretty easy then. But where can people go to to learn more and also connect with you if they want to as well? ReadySetFood.com is our website. Uh, our product's available there and on Amazon. Um, and my email address is Daniel at ReadySetFood.com. Perfect. And I'll link that up in the show notes as well, just go grind.com slash podcast. And also anything kind of mentioned in this, in this episode as well, we can link up there as well. But Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, 
tools and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Just go grind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.